Hey, it's exciting to see everyone. We got a pretty good full house here today, and students, it's exciting to see a lot of you back, uh, some of you for the first time uh, this semester. Um, we're going to look at Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, and uh, if you don't have a Bible, just slip up your hand, and we can pass some out. I want to encourage you to uh, bring your Bibles every week, and I want to encourage you, you can just pick them up when you come in the door. Um, and uh, hey, if anybody uh, needs a Bible and doesn't, they do not have one, please take one home with you. If you do, and you can just put it back when you walk out. Matthew chapter 28, 19 and 20. Let me set, we're going to read this before we start, but let me just set the context here of Matthew chapter 28, 19 and 20, because today we're going to be talking about the mission. And Matthew 28, 19 and 20 takes place after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So he has already been with his disciples for three years, training them, teaching them, equipping them, living life with them. And uh, he's been crucified. They've, they've seen that happen. He's been resurrected to their great surprise, even though he said that would take place. Now he's about to leave them. And this is like the last kind of thing that he says before he ascends into heaven. So let's look at Matthew uh, chapter 28. Actually, I'm going to look at start with verse 18. Then Jesus came to them, that is his disciples, and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He's the supreme commander. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Marcus Howlevy was a photographer for the Lawrence Eagle Tribune in Massachusetts, and he was hired to take uh, some special photos of uh, the storms in Massachusetts on the coast. And so uh, on a particular day, he uh, had gone out during a storm to take pictures because the tides were the highest that they'd been in 60 years fairly significant event. As he was there taking pictures, he noticed a woman standing uh, right on a little ledge of sand, right, right there on the ocean. And so he thought this would be great in the storm to get a little human element here. She looked a little troubled. He snapped her picture, and just after he snapped the picture, a large wave swept in and hit uh, the ledge she was standing on, and it collapsed, and she went into the water. She falls on her back, and he takes another picture. And uh, she is just totally surprised. He thinks, I could probably help her. And then he looks around, and he notices about 100 feet away is a lifeguard. And then he looks in the other direction and he sees another person and he thinks they can rescue her. And so he takes another picture. This time she has her hand outstretched. She's looking for some help. The next frame, the uh, two men get to the woman and she's reaching out for help. But just then they pull back from her and a large 20 foot wave hits the shore. And the woman is gone. Three hours later, her dead body drifts up to the beach. 
Marcus um, Halevi was so focused on seeing uh, the pictures through his camera, seeing, watching this event happen, he didn't rescue somebody who needed rescued. Is there anybody in your life that needs rescued? And sometimes you're just too busy. Today we're going to talk about life saving. We're going to talk about the mission of the church and the mission of every Christian and should be the mission of every church everywhere. At least if they're paying attention to Jesus, because that's what Jesus intended. Uh, so we're going to be at Matthew 28, 19 and 20. And the first thing I want us to say, and you can follow along on your program, there's an outline. Uh, our mission is radical. Radical means a, depart, a departure from tradition. Uh, it, it means requiring extreme measures. And our mission requires some extreme measures. First of all, uh, Jesus says in verse 19, therefore, go. We are sent by Jesus. We are, there we, do we have uh, a, we, yeah, where we go? We are sent by Jesus. All authority was given to Jesus. And he said, go to his disciples, uh, his followers. He said, go to them. And it still means go to us. It means as you go, when you go. It may be to work. It may be to your class. It may be to Africa. It may be to Guatemala. Go. That's what he said. That's the weight of a command to go. That's Jesus' intentions. We are sent by uh, Jesus. Next, I want us to see in verse 19, we are to make disciples of all nations. We are to make disciples. In fact, making disciples is the main verb in this entire section. All the other verbal forms modify their participles. Go is a participle that carries the weight of a command, but it still modifies the main verb. Whether you care or not about grammar, it supports this main idea of making disciples. A disciple, very simply, is a learner. But it's much more than just a learner. Uh, a learner implies, you know, gaining knowledge and learning information. But it's way more than that. Um, in this context of uh, discipleship, under Jesus, it's about following Jesus, being a follower of Jesus specifically, one who seeks to live every day to follow the teachings of uh, Jesus. Now think about this process of making disciples. Let's assume that having no knowledge, because there are people in our world that have no knowledge about Jesus, zero. So let's put a zero over here. They don't know anything. And then let's go over here to a 10, and a 10 is somebody who is seeking to follow Jesus every day. Zero to 10. Making disciples is about taking people at zero and helping them get to 10, okay? Where are you? If you had to put your mark on that zero to 10, 
on being a follower of Jesus, where are you? You should know your own mark as you think about this. Okay. Um, Making disciples is twofold in verse 19 to make disciples. It includes evangelizing, evangelism, sharing the good news about Jesus. Um, it's pretty straightforward, but sharing the good news. What is the good news? Let me just remind you. Thanks for asking. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, that every person is a sinner, every person and me, I'm. I have a lot of experience with sin. And so every person, me, the Bible says we're sinners. The Bible also says, Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. Uh, The consequences for sin is death. Not just physical death, that's spiritual death. Or we could say eternal death. Or we could say eternal separation from God. Or we could say, as Jesus taught, that's hell. That's what he's talking about. And uh, that's going to be one of the options that people have in life. The good news is, is that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, and he died on the cross and he paid the penalty for our sin. He paid the penalty for every person's sin, every person, for all sin, for all time. And... The sin penalty is paid for. That's the good news. And God has one simple requirement, and it is to believe what God said about a son. Jesus died for you and for every person. Will you embrace that truth? That's the good news. That's the gospel. Evangelism is communicating that good news to our world. That's our job. That's an essential part of the mission. It's the essential part of the mission of this church is to spread the gospel where we are and where we are going. Okay. Um, So uh, I said that discipleship is making disciples is twofold. Secondly, it's about teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, according to Jesus. Discipleship is about teaching others to obey everything. It's about coming into a relationship with Jesus and beginning to understand who he is, who Jesus Christ is, and what he intends for for your life and for my life. It's getting into a relationship, understanding he is Lord and I am not. And uh, I voluntarily place myself into that relationship. I submit to that relationship to Uh, Jesus. It's my choice to do that. Uh, The responsibility of the church always is to teach people to obey everything. Now, one of the dangers we get into is that we just some of us just like knowledge. I like knowledge. That's why I went to seminary. I just love to study the Bible. And we just get smarter and smarter and smarter sinners. It's not it. The goal is is to teach to obey so that we embrace truth and we follow Christ actually. Okay, so that's the. Uh, second part of discipleship. Now, one of the things that uh, is important here at the bridge is our growth groups. 
And we just heard an announcement about that. Growth groups are our primary vehicle of discipleship at the bridge. It's our primary strategy to help you grow outside of Sunday morning. And Sunday morning is not enough for anybody. And I know some of you are in groups. Our primary uh, strategy at the bridge is for you to be in a growth group. We call them growth. It's our small group ministry. We call them growth groups because... uh, We want growth to be intentional for you. We want you to know coming in, this is what you should do. You should seek to grow. Whatever that is, take another step in your walk with God so that you don't sit in neutral in your spiritual life. So um, one of the key growth groups this fall is uh, Radical, and we're going to see a video clip and meet the author of our book that we're going to be studying, Radical. It's not just a book. It's going to have a lot of instruction about Jesus. Okay, let's watch the video. We have growth groups Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Please consider signing up. You can sign up on your communication card, and you can sign up online. Okay? It's about teaching us to obey everything. I have the same responsibility to obey everything that you do. We're all in the same boat. So our mission is radical. In fact, it's impossible. It's absolutely impossible to accomplish without God. Uh, We must go to our world and show them who Jesus is and how he wants his followers uh, to live. And we do this with a 99.9% volunteer army. That's a challenging mission. Secondly, our mission includes baptizing those who are followers of Christ. Because we're having a baptism today, I'm going to take a a couple of minutes here and talk about baptism. So uh, stay with me. First of all, I want us to know that uh, it is the desire of Jesus Christ that every believer be baptized. It is the desire of Jesus, the head of the church, Lord of Lord and King of Kings, who said, go make disciples and baptize them. Uh, baptism here has a com- it carries the force of a command to be baptized. And uh, so Jesus' desire is for the church to spread the good news, the gospel, and then when people come to faith in Jesus, to uh, baptize them. And so I'm just going to ask the question right off here. Have you been baptized as a follower of Jesus Christ? You should seriously consider being baptized as a follower of Jesus Uh, Secondly here, the practice of the early church was to baptize only believers in Christ. The practice of the early church was to baptize only believers in Christ. Uh, Acts 2.38, Peter gets up, and this is his uh, very first sermon. His very first thing after, I remember he denied Jesus three times, comes a chicken, and uh, Jesus tells his disciples to go back to Jerusalem and to pray and wait for the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples. Peter's a changed man, and he gets up and he preaches a sermon. And he calls people to come to faith in Jesus Christ. And he says to, to the audience, repent and be baptized, every one of you. He calls them to turn to God. He, he, he calls them to come into a relationship with God and have their sins forgiven. And then he says, be baptized. Okay, Acts 2.41 Just a couple of verses later, those who accepted his message were baptized. They accepted the message. 
Then they were baptized. About 3,000 were added to their number that day. This is the first church. It is not a small church. And um, one of the things I want to just do a little side comment here is there's nothing biblical about small churches being sort of more spiritual or better than large churches. God can do whatever he wants on the size of the church. This one started big, okay? Um, Acts chapter 8, verses 12 and 13. But when they believe Philip as he preached the good news, so he's presenting the gospel, they believe about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. They were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized. This is a model of the early church. People come to faith first. They believe in Jesus Christ. Then they are baptized. And that's what Jesus commanded. Uh, Acts 16. Verses 13 through 15. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where uh, we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. Next slide. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple, purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshiper of God. So uh, Paul and Luke have gone to this city, Philippi. That's where this is taking place. And they have come across some women that they know are already following what they know about God from the Old Testament scriptures, a worshiper of God. They sort of have a, a, an audience that's interested in spiritual things right here. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. So her heart is open and she responds in faith. And when she and the members of her household were baptized, next verse, they, uh, okay, so they were baptized. We'll just end it right there. Um, and, and again, what I want you to see is they responded in faith to the message of the gospel. Then they were baptized. Um, Acts chapter 16, verses 31 through 33, different group. Um, they replied, Paul and Silas um, are meeting here, the Philippian jailer. There's just been a miracle. Uh, the gates have, of the jail have shaken and uh, the doors have opened and Paul is, uh, and Silas are set free. And the jailer now is fears for his life, is scared to death. And he says, men, what must I do to be saved? And this is the answer. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. And then immediately he and all his family were baptized. The gospel message was proclaimed. They respond and then they are baptized. Uh, next, I want us to see that the practice of the early church was to baptize by immersion. Stay with me now. Some of you are going to be nervous here. Just stay with me. Let's stick with the Bible. Acts chapter uh, 8, verse 30 through 38. little side note here before I jump into Acts 8. The word baptize, to baptize, in, in the Greek is baptizo. It literally means to immerse, to dip, or to dunk. If you look at any Greek lexicon... Anywhere that's uh, an accurate perspective of the Greek language, that's what it means 
That's what it says. A lexicon is like a dictionary. And so Matthew 28, 19 and 20 could be translated. Go and make disciples of all nations, immersing them in the name of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Now, in 1611, anybody know what happened in 1611? The King James Version of the Bible. The translators of the King James Version didn't want to get involved in a theological debate in 1611. Some people in the Church of England believed in baptism by immersion. Some people believed in baptism by sprinkling. So the translators chose not to get involved, and they created for the very first time a new English word. They took the Greek letters from baptizo, beta for B, um, alpha for A, and uh, pi for P, ended up creating a new English word for the very first time, didn't exist before 1611, to baptize. And they just were, went neutral on what does this mean. So, now, Acts chapter 8, verses 30 through 38. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. This is Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Do you understand what you are reading, Philip asked. So this guy is a seeker. He's trying to find out more about God, and he's actually reading the Old Testament scriptures from Isaiah 53. Uh, verse 31, do you understand what you're reading? How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Next slide. The eunuch was reading the passage of Scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shear is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Next slide. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Next then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. What do you know? As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. What you, why would they go down into the water for, to be sprinkled? Um, John the Baptist baptized in the Jordan River. Baptisms also took place um, at the Sea of Galilee. If you look at Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, when Jesus was baptized, it says, the, the scripture says, and as Jesus was coming up out of the water, that was in the Jordan River. Now, why would he come up out of the water if he went there to be sprinkled? If the word means to immerse, dip, or dunk. Observation. There is no evidence anywhere in the Bible that an infant was ever baptized or that anyone was sprinkled with water for baptism. It's just not in the scriptures. Um, next, baptism is an outward picture of an inner spiritual reality. It's about public identification with Jesus, death, burial, and resurrection. It's about identifying with Jesus publicly. Uh, Romans 6, 3, uh, and 4 uh, give us a place for this picture. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death 
in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Jesus died, he was buried, and he rose again. Resurrection. When we come to faith in Christ, there is a co this identification with Christ spiritually. We die with Christ, we're buried with Christ, and we're raised to a new life. That's what it means to be born again, raised to a new life. Now, here's what water baptism pictures as I understand it. When a person is standing in the water, they go into the water, under the water, and it's a picture of death and burial. They come out of the water, and it is a picture of being raised to a new life. It's a picture of being cleansed spiritually. It's a picture. Baptism does not save. Baptism does not cleanse. It is a picture. Why would anybody do it? Because Jesus told his followers to be baptized. Uh, Number three, our mission has a promise. Jesus promises his presence in everything we do to make disciples. Verse 20, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. These instructions will never go out of style. They'll never go out of vogue. They will never go uh, become old-fashioned. It's until the end of the age, till the end of life as you're ever going to know it. As we focus on making disciples, we can count on Jesus to be with us, to help us, to enable us, to equip us, to provide for us every step of the way. Um, Guess what? If we don't want to make disciples, don't expect Jesus to show up because this is what he's about. Um, It's been noted that somewhere between 60 and 75 churches in the U.S., go out of business, and close their doors every week. Did you know that? There are a lot of buildings around. They don't all have a thriving body of believers. Now, sometimes, do you think it's possible that those people somewhere along the way got off the path and quit making disciples for Christ? And they quit teaching people to obey everything that Jesus commanded. And they quit valuing the word of God. And they went out of business. Um, Jesus will never leave you or forsake you. David mentioned the scripture earlier, Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. As we do our mission, as we seek to make disciples, we can count on Jesus every step of the way. Verse 5, keep your lives from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? That was a really important verse in the first century when when the church was undergoing persecution. What can a man do to me? Um, Jesus wants to work through you for his good purpose. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. This is one of my favorites. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It doesn't say work for your salvation with fear and trembling. It says work out your salvation. There's already an assumption that you have salvation and the gift is in you. And the Apostle Paul says work it out. Live in a way that 
this relationship with God that you have begins to surface so other people can tell. Oh, you must be a follower of Christ. I can tell. You seem to be honest. You seem to be kind. You seem to be generous. You, you, uh, you just seem to uh, have high values. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling for because God is at work in you to will and to work according to his good purpose. That's exciting to know that God is at work in us. We have the power of God to accomplish the mission for his good purpose. By the way, it's not for our good purpose. Work out your salvation for, with fear and trembling so God can work for our pleasure. Sometimes we get confused on that one. We sort of feel like if we do a few good things, maybe God will give us what we want. That's not what it says. It's for his good pleasure. It's about aligning our lives with him because without him we can do nothing. John 15, 5. So, the Bridge Church, the mission is help people connect with God and develop them into fully devoted followers of Jesus. That's the way we say it. Helping people connect with God. That's evangelism. That's helping people understand who Jesus is, to understand the gospel. And then helping them develop into fully devoted followers of of Jesus, helping them grow. Okay, we're almost home. Thank you for being patient. I know it's a little bit warm in here. They said the air was going to come on. Um, I'm not sure that it did. In November 2010, a wedding party in Glenelg, Australia, was called into action after the wedding ceremony. While they were posing for pictures near a ledge overlooking a scenic view of the bay, they noticed a woman fall into the water. The best man dressed in his tuxedo jumped into the water and began to bring her back to shore. The bride in her wedding dress, a trained nurse, jumped in to help out and gave CPR right on the spot. By the time the surf life saving volunteers got there, the woman was conscious. One safety official stated that the woman was very lucky that the bridal party was there and acted so quickly. Church, you are the bridal party. You are the bride of Christ. Let's stand and pray. Father, we thank you um, for the good news that forgiveness is available for all people through Jesus Christ. Thank you, God, that we have the good news to share, that you've given us resources to live for you. God, may we be mindful of our responsibility. May we continue to grow in being followers of you. May we strive to be people who want to obey. For Jesus' sake, amen.